Have you ever felt used? Have you ever felt taken advantage of? It's not a good feeling, is it? Now, let's be honest. Have you ever taken advantage of someone else? Have you ever used someone else for your own personal gain, for your own personal desires? Well, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25, and then I want you to hold your place there and turn over to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. Now, if you're new to using your Bible, don't get discouraged. If you think that it's difficult to find these books, it's difficult for everybody at first. And I've got good news for you. There is a table of contents in the very beginning of your Bible. And so you can turn to that table of contents that's on one of the first several pages. And and it'll tell you where Leviticus is. And then you find chapter 25 or you find where the book of Galatians is and then find chapter 1. Now, now, if you're um, used to finding these books and, and these chapters, great. You're going to be on display, and we're just so proud of you. But if you're new, don't fret. But the book of Leviticus is at the beginning of your Bible. The book of Galatians is toward the end of your Bible. We're in week four of a series that we have called Those People. Say that with me. Those People. And we've discovered that those people are are those people that irritate us, those people that frustrate us, those people that aggravate us, those people that get under our skin, those people that that know how to annoy us and, and push our buttons. They are those kinds of people. And we also discovered that if we are honest, there are times that each and every one of us can be those people. Now, as we begin this morning, I want us to take a moment to review what we've, what we've learned thus far. We began by looking at those critical people. Those people that always have something negative to say about us. They are those people that can find a cloud in every silver lining. You've met those people before. But what we discovered about those critical people is... We can learn from even those critical people. The next week, we we learned about those chronically needy people. And they may be emotionally needy. They may be relationally needy. They may be financially needy. but, But what we've discovered is no matter how often we help them, no matter how many times we bail them out, they always find themselves back at that same place in need. They are chronically needy. And what we discovered about the chronically needy is God's word commands us to help them. And yet we need to understand that as we help them, we cannot enable them. Last week, we we focused on those fake people, those hypocritical people, those People that wear a mask, those people that that pretend to be one thing, but deep down inside, they are really something else. And what I hope you learned last week as we focused on those fake people, those, those hypocritical people, is 
When we're trying to find the fake people, we don't look to our right and we don't look to our left and, and say, I think I found them. We look in the mirror and we make sure that we aren't those hypocritical people. Because there are times that each and every one of us can be hypocritical. But today, I want us to focus on those manipulative people. Those people that use us. Those people that take advantage of us. And the truth is, each and every one of us have been manipulative at one time or another. Each and every one of us have used other people. Each and every one of us have taken advantage of other people. We've tried to control them for our own personal good, our own personal gain. It starts when we are babies. A baby likes to be held. And mama decides she needs a break from holding little baby. So mama puts little baby down and baby thinks, wait, I'm not being held. I like being held. And so what does baby do? Baby cries and cries and cries. And what do we do? We pick up baby and immediately baby stops crying. The tears dry up because the baby is being manipulative. Our youngest grandchild, Asher, she is really good at this. And she is about worn Mary Beth out. And finally, we said, you can't let her do this. You've got to leave her in the crib regardless. I mean, she puts her in the car seat when they drive. And as soon as she's in the car seat, it's like Asher says, I'm not being held. I think I'm going to cry. And from the moment she's in the car seat until the moment they arrive at the destination, she cries. She's taken out of the car seat. She grins. I've got what I wanted. We start off manipulating. And then we become children. And we learn how to manipulate even better, don't we? We know when to cry. We know when to pout. We know when to throw the proper fit to get exactly what we want. And our parents give in because they are tired of us crying, pouting, or throwing the fit. And then by the time we become adults, we have honed our skill. We have become masters at manipulation. And, and so we know how to manipulate the people around us to get what we want. Now, the world thinks that is okay. It's okay to manipulate. It's, it's okay to take advantage or to use to get what we want. I mean, we do it every day. You know, we do it in sales. We want to get the very best price for what we're selling because we don't want to be taken advantage of. And so instead of coming up with a fair price, you know, we think, what's the most that I can get out of this? And I'm going to clean it up and shine it up. And even though it may not be worth it, I'm going to get what I can get out of this. The world thinks that's okay. But what does the Bible say? Well, listen to what it says in Leviticus 25. 
In verse 17, it says, do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord, your God. Don't take advantage of one another. Don't use one another. Don't manipulate one another. Instead, say it with me. Instead, fear God. We don't take advantage of one another. What do we do? We say it together. We fear God. What that means is we recognize life is not about me. Life is not about my desires, my wants, my wishes. I'm, I'm not the one that is seated on the throne. God is. Therefore, it's not right for me to take advantage, to manipulate, to use others to get what I want. Because God created these people. God loves these people. And God says, it's not about you, it's about me and my glory. And it's about sharing that glory with the people I love. And so don't manipulate, don't take advantage, don't use other people. Now listen to what it says in the New Testament, and you can write this verse down. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 6. Paul says, in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish for all such sins, as we've already told you, and warned you. Paul is saying, this is such a big deal. Taking advantage of other people. That I've already told you not to do this. As a matter of fact, I've warned you about this. And Paul then says, you need to understand, God will punish you if you take advantage of other people. And so this is a big deal for us, isn't it? I mean, for those of us who are Christ followers, for those of us who belong to Jesus, it's a big deal. It's not about us. It's about God and about God's glory. Therefore, we don't take advantage of other people, even if it's in our best interest, even if it's for our good. Now, before we go any further, let's, let's establish a definition. Let me give you one. To manipulate is to negotiate control or influence for one's own advantage. To manipulate is to negotiate control or influence for one's own advantage. And so I am trying to get other people to do something because it is advantageous to me. So how do manipulators work? Well, I'm sure there are a number of things that we could share, but I want to give you four ways that I believe manipulators work. Four things that you need to understand about manipulators. First, manipulators know what buttons to push. They know what buttons to push. And they use a variety of buttons. Sometimes manipulators use flattery. Flattery is, is when we praise someone or compliment someone insincerely. And the Bible always speaks negatively about flattery. The Bible doesn't speak negatively about complimenting people, but it does speak negatively about flattery. When we say something about someone to praise them or compliment them and we're not sincere, the Bible calls that flattery. And, and people do that today. You've met the guy at work, haven't you? 
I mean, you know, the term that is used is a, a brow noser. We've met those people before, haven't we? I mean, at work, they're the person that goes to the boss and says, man, you are the best boss in the world. I am so incredibly blessed to work for you. But in the workroom with everybody else, you should hear him talking about the boss. Great presentation today, boss. Man, you nailed it. You did incredible. And so we use flattery. We see it at work. Ladies use this, don't they? You know, the lady at the gym, she comes up to you and goes, wow, you're looking good. Have you lost some weight? You sure are getting toned. You're getting buffed. Look at those muscles. And if you're like most guys, I mean, immediately when she starts talking, you, you stand up a little bit straighter, kind of hold your stomach in. You, you try your hardest to make a six-pack even though the best you can do is a keg? I mean, she's manipulating you. And then she says, by the way, I've got this big box in the back of my car. Can you bring it in for me? Well, sure. I mean, why do you think I've got these muscles? And so we use flattery. The next thing that manipulators use in their bag of tricks is threats. Manipulators use threats. If you don't do this, you're going to regret it. You're going to be sorry. I promise you, you're going to regret it. If, if you don't do this, we're not going to be friends anymore. If you don't do this, I'm not going to help you with your homework. If you don't do this, I'm going to leave you threats. And then finally, there's guilt. I thought I could depend on you. After all I've done for you, you're not willing? Or, or I guess I'll just stay here by myself while y'all go out and have a good time. Well, if you really loved me, you would. We, we throw on the guilt. And what I've discovered is a lot of good people a lot of decent people will sometimes knowingly, oftentimes unknowingly, grab us by our heartstrings, either utilizing flattery or threats or guilt to manipulate us into doing things we really don't want to do. And, and that's when we can tell that we're being manipulated. If it's something we really don't want to do, but we feel guilty if we don't do it, we're probably being manipulated. If it's something we really don't want to do, but we're afraid of what will happen if we don't do it, we're probably being manipulated. And so manipulators know what buttons to push. Second, manipulators prey on our needs and our desires. They know where we are weak, and they know what we need, they know what we want, and they use those things against us. It may be an emotional need or desire. It could be a relational need or desire. It could be a physical need or desire. And they discovered that need, that desire, and when they do, they use that need or desire against us to get us to do what they want us to do. Next, manipulators are often self-centered, most often. They may not even realize it, 
But what they're trying to do is almost always self-serving. They may tell you that it's for your good, but the truth of the matter is it's for their good. And finally, manipulators believe that the end justifies the means because they really do believe what they want is the best, that what they want they deserve, or it's God's will, they're willing to do whatever to get you to do it. And so they will do whatever to get you to do whatever because they believe it's for their best. And and maybe they believe it's for your best. Now, there are a number of examples of of manipulators in God's Word. But I want to point out three examples to you. The first example is found in the Old Testament book of Genesis, and and it's the example of the story of Jacob and Esau. It's found in Genesis chapter 25. Now, now if you're not familiar with his story, Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. He was the youngest of two twins. The Bible says that when Esau was born and came out first, Jacob was grabbing at his heel. Uh, So even in the womb... He was trying to reach out and get something from someone else. Now, even though they were twins, they were not identical twins. They were, as a matter of fact, polar opposites in how they looked, how they thought, how they acted. The Bible says that that Isaac loved one and Rebekah loved the other. Now, from a very early age, Jacob wanted something that Esau was guaranteed. The oldest child was guaranteed the birthright. And there were a number of things that came with the birthright. But one thing that came with the birthright was a double part of the inheritance. And Jacob wanted that. And so Jacob plotted and connived and and thought of ways that he could get that birthright. And one day Esau was out hunting. We don't know how long he had been gone. but, But while he was gone, Jacob started cooking a Pretty mean pot of stew. I mean, evidently it was good stew. It was a red stew. And and when Esau got home, he was famished. He was hungry. He walked into the tent or he walked up in the place where where Jacob was cooking. and, And the aroma of that stew filled the place. And Esau said, Jacob, give me some of your stew. Jacob looked at Esau and he said, Gotcha. And he said, okay, I'll give you some of my stew if you give me your birthright. And Esau, who felt like he was about to die of starvation, said, what good is a birthright if I die? You can have it. Give me some stew. And so Jacob manipulated his brother Esau out of his birthright. Now, you're probably thinking, man, Jacob was a slimeball. Jacob was a scumbag. How in the world could he ever do that? Now, before you start judging Jacob, young people, have you ever had something on your brother or sister? And you said, hey, if you don't clean my room, I'm going to tell mom and dad what you said. I'm going to tell them where you went. I'm going to tell them what you did. That's manipulation. Or husbands, your wife says, 
babe, I really need your help in doing this. And, and you say, I'll be happy to help you if, and you can fill in the blanks. That's manipulation. And so Jacob manipulated. The next example in the Bible is found in Judges chapter 16. And it's the story of Samson and Delilah. And if you don't know this story, Samson was that guy who was given supernatural strength by God. And his strength was somehow tied to his long hair. As long as he didn't cut his hair, he had this supernatural strength. And God was using him to just bring anguish to God's people's enemy, the Philistines. Well, Samson wasn't the wisest guy. He wasn't the most spiritual of guys. And, and he fell in love with this hot Philistine woman named Delilah. And he just loved her to pieces. But she obviously didn't love him in the same way because the ruler of the Philistines came to Delilah and said, each of us will give you, it was about 28 pounds of silver if you will find out the secret to Samson's strength. And Delilah thought, man, 28 pounds of silver from each of you? That will that will set me up for life. I will do it. And so she began to put on her womanly charms. And she said, oh, baby, please, baby, tell me where you get your strength. And, and Samson would tell her all kind of things, but it was just lies. He, he just refused to tell her. And then Delilah threw out the L-bomb. The L-bomb. If you love me, you won't keep secrets from me. And I love what it says here. It goes on to say, one translation says, She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. And so he finally just said, Woman, I can't take it anymore. Here's the secret to my strength. And he told her. And Delilah got what she wanted, the silver. The Philistines got what they wanted, Samson. And Samson was left without his hair, without his strength, without his eyesight. And he was forced to work like a beast of burden as a slave to the Philistines. Esau lost his birthright because he was manipulated. Samson lost his God-given strength because he was manipulated. But I want to give you one example that has somewhat of a better ending. And it's the story of Jesus being tempted or manipulated by Satan in the wilderness. And that's what temptation is. Temptation is spiritual manipulation. And in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. But I want to read it to you from, from Luke's Gospel. In Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, listen to what it says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. 
The devil led him up to the high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, all of his manipulation, he left him until an opportune time. Now notice what it says about Jesus. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. Now this is important. If you want to have success in dealing with the manipulators in your life, either the the physical manipulators or the spiritual manipulators, you need to be full of the Holy Spirit and you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, we are told that, that Jesus was fasting. He hadn't had anything to eat for 40 days. And if you've and if you've ever gone on a fast and you've gone on an extended fast, when you don't eat for forty days, your body begins to eat at itself. It's so needless to say, Jesus was not just hungry; Jesus was starving, and that's when Satan began to manipulate him at his finest. He tried to manipulate him with food, a need. If, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones to bread and, and you can eat. And then he manipulated him with, with his purpose. Because his purpose was to expand God's kingdom to the entire world. And Satan said, if you are the son of God and you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world because they have been given to me. And then he used this, this, this temptation, this manipulation to, to basically show off to the world. Took him to the top of the temple and said, if you're really the son of God, then jump down. The angels will catch you. Everybody will know that you're the son of God. And so he was pouring it on to Jesus. He was trying to manipulate him. He was trying to get Jesus to do what he wanted him to do. But at every instant, Jesus answered the temptation. Jesus answered the manipulation. And the Bible says that Satan left until an opportune time. In other words, Satan didn't stop trying to manipulate Jesus. Satan just left to regroup. And and that's what manipulators will do. I mean, just because you don't give in to manipulation once doesn't mean that a manipulator is never going to come back and try to manipulate you again. They're going to wait until they find another way to manipulate you. They're going to wait until they build their ammo back up. They're going to wait until they find another need or another desire. And they're going to try to manipulate you again. So how do you respond to a manipulator? Let me give you three things. First of all, you commit to be a God-pleaser and not a people-pleaser. Listen to what it says in Galatians 1. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant 
of Christ. The truth is, each and every one of us is going to live life from one of two perspectives. We are either going to try to please people, and it may even be ourselves, or we are going to try to please God. But understand, we cannot do both. The Bible says no one can serve two masters. It's impossible. You can't live with divided loyalties. It will tear you in two. And so if we're ever going to overcome manipulation in our life, whether it be physical or whether it be spiritual, we must determine who we're going to live to please. Now, and here's what I know. There are some of you here this morning who are living to please your spouse. There are others of you that are living to please your children. Some of you are living to please your parents or a parent. Some of you may be living to please a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a group of friends. And I want you to know that that will only get you in trouble and it will hurt you and it will hurt them. Now, this doesn't mean that our life will never, will never please other people. It doesn't mean we disobey our parents. It simply means that we have made the decision, I'm not going to live my life to please other people. I'm going to live my life to please God. And listen, if you live your life to please anyone else other than God, look at me. You're committing the sin of idolatry. And that is dangerous. If you're living to please your spouse, your spouse has become your God. If you're living to please your children, your children are your God. If you're living to please your parents, your parents are are your God. If you're living to please that boyfriend or that girlfriend, they are your God. If it's your peers, they are your God. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous for you. It's dangerous for them. So who are you going to live to please? If you want to overcome manipulation, you've got to get to that point where you've drawn a line in the sand and you've made the commitment. I'm not going to live my life anymore to please people. I'm going to live my life to please an audience of one. That's God. The second thing that we do when we respond to manipulators is we let the word of God guide us. That's what Jesus did. Every time Satan came with his manipulative bag of tricks, Jesus responded with God's word. It is written, man does not live by bread alone. It is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written, you must not test the Lord your God. If you're going to ever overcome manipulation, either physically or spiritually, you have to know the word of God and you have to be guided by the word of God. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself succumbing to the manipulative tricks that people or our enemy throws at you. So do you have a plan for learning the word of God, hiding it in your heart? And as you learn the word of God, 
Are you letting it guide you? Or are you letting other people's desires guide you? And then finally, you have to point out the manipulation of the manipulators. That's what Jesus did with with Satan. Each time, Jesus pointed out what he was doing and the error of what he was doing. Now, I want to give you another example. It's an example found in the book of Matthew, and it's the story of Jesus preparing his disciples for his death. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. Beginning in verse 21, it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now notice what happens. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind of the things of God, but the things of man. And here was Jesus. He was meeting with his disciples, the twelve, and he was beginning to tell them why he came to earth. I've come to earth for a purpose. I've come to earth for a reason. And that purpose, that reason is to give my life for the sins of the world. I'm going to die on a cross. Now, notice what Peter did. Peter didn't like this. And so he took Jesus aside. Now, why did Peter take Jesus aside? Can I tell you why? Listen to me. Because manipulators lose their power when they are in groups. Because when they are in groups, there are other people that will respond to their manipulation. And they will point it out. And they will say, are you letting them manipulate you like that or you're going to let them get by with this and they're going to point it out and so Peter took Jesus aside and began to manipulate him now understand I believe with all my heart Peter had good intentions you see oftentimes manipulators don't have good intentions but there are times that manipulators really do have good intentions in their minds They think what they're doing is right. Here's Peter, Jesus. I I hear what you're saying. And and I know that you think that you have to die, but you don't. I'm not going to let you. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You you see, you need to understand. Look at me. You need to understand that, that you can think with all your heart, you have the best interest of the person you're manipulating in mind, but you don't. For instance, you as a parent, have your kid come up to you and say, Mom and Dad, I've got great news. I believe God's calling me to go to Saudi Arabia as an undercover missionary. They don't let missionaries in that country. And, and I know that if I ever get called, I could be put to death. But, but I really do feel like God's called me to go to Saudi Arabia and, and share the gospel with people there who don't even know about Jesus. And what do you do as a parent? Hey, I am so glad you want to serve Jesus. But I tell you, God doesn't want you to go to Saudi Arabia. God would rather you pastor a nice, 
comfortable, middle-class, or affluent church here in the suburbs of Columbia. I, I think that's God's plan for your life. Or, or maybe your child is in college and they're, they're studying to get their degree as a teacher and they come to you and say, I really do believe God, God has called me to an inner city in a dangerous neighborhood to change kids' lives. And you're going, wait a second. Detroit? Inner city? Dangerous area? No, 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 no. I mean, there's plenty of schools that need teachers here. There are plenty of kids that you can influence here. God doesn't want you to go there. You've just been manipulated by some pastor. And because we don't want anything bad to happen to our kids, what do we do? We begin to manipulate them. And we don't even realize that we're doing it. But I want to bring this back to the spiritual as we close. Because you see, there are physical manipulators that come into our life and they try to get us to do things we don't want to do for, for their good, their benefit. But you need to understand that we also have that spiritual enemy who wants to manipulate us for his good. The Bible says that Satan's plan is to kill you, steal from you, destroy you. That's his plan. And he has got a manipulative bag of tricks that he will use on you. And let me tell you, he will promise you anything. He will flatter you. He will threaten you. He will guilt you. He will use everything to control you and keep you from what your creator has for you. That's just a fact. Satan is the master manipulator. And each and every one of us have a choice. We can choose to succumb to the manipulation of Satan. Or we can choose to give our life to the one that loves us unconditionally. But we can't do both. And so today, each and every one of us have a, have a choice. Am I going to continue to be manipulated by the one that wants to destroy me? Because what he says sounds so good... Or am I going to give my life to the one who loves me unconditionally? Now, here's what I've discovered about us. Many of us love to manipulate God. Oh, we do, don't we? We say things like, God, if you will, we fill in the blanks. And then we say, I will. And we fill in the blanks. Have you ever done that? God, if... If you heal my son, my dad, my, my spouse, I promise I'll serve you for the rest of my life. God, if, if, if you find me the job, if you open up this door of opportunity for me, I promise that, that I'm going to start tithing. And we, we make these, these promises to God. We try to manipulate God. And we do it when it comes to eternal life too, don't we? Oh, we do. We say, God, if, if you'll let me go to heaven, I'll go to church. And we start going to church. 
God, if you let me go to heaven, I'll start reading my Bible and we read our Bible. God, if you let me go to heaven, I'll tithe. Then we tithe and we do all the things that we say we're going to do. But what are we doing? We're trying to manipulate God. God, I will do this if you let me into heaven. Or or we say things like this to God. God, I mean, I've tried to live a good life. How could you ever let me go to hell? Or people say things like this. If God's a loving God, then he wouldn't let people go to hell. Do you understand what that is? That's spiritual manipulation. You are trying to manipulate God. But God can't be manipulated. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. The Bible says that if we want to go to heaven, we've got to admit that we've got a problem we can't solve. And And that problem is sin. And we have to have a desire to be set free from sin. We're never going to go to heaven if we want to continue to live in the bondage of sin. We've got to have the desire to be set free from sin. So we recognize we've got this problem, sin. I'm living separate from God and it's causing me to do things that that I no longer want to do. and, and, And I can't do anything about it because my best is not good enough. We admit we have that problem. We want to be set free. And then all of a sudden we realize that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to this earth to take our sins away. He came to this earth to die in our place. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God through Jesus is eternal life. And we come to that point where we believe with all of our heart. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us and set us free from sin. And then we take that step. We determine that we're going to commit our life to him. Because he's our creator and he's our redeemer and he loves us with an everlasting unconditional love. We're going to commit our life to him. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is our Lord and we believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And when we do that, Jesus sets us free. He gives us a home in heaven. You can't manipulate God. You can't bargain with God. You can't promise God. You can't flatter God. But I've got good news. God will give you eternal life. If you acknowledge your problem, You have a desire to be set free from it. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. You commit your life to it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes. And all over this room, I know that there are people here who have struggled with being manipulated. And I know that there are people even right now who are manipulating others. And if that's where you are, then this morning you need to deal with that. You need to repent or you need to ask God to give you strength. But what I want to focus on primarily this morning is those of us who have tried to manipulate God. I want to tell you, God wants to save you, but he won't be manipulated. And so if you're here and you need to give your life to Jesus, you need to surrender control to him then I encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning acknowledging my sin. Please forgive me. I don't want to be controlled by sin anymore. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave 
to set me free and forgive me of all my sin. I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting you to guide me. Take control. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.